Amen. Let's open our Bibles this morning to Isaiah 40, verse 3 through 5. I was, had the privilege of being in the Fiji conference, um, uh, what, two weeks ago, a week and a half ago. And one of the uh, sessions in the morning, one of the pastors made an interesting comment, and I just took note of it. He said, you know, you in Australia have good roads. And then he started talking about the roads in Fiji, how, you know, they're not so good and how, you know, we can't go as fast and we have to dodge things and there's, you know, traffic problems and this and this and that. And he's, so he's talking about roads. And, you know, I, uh, I took note of that because the week before, I was thinking, you know, roads in Fiji, they're, okay, well, they're not too bad, to be honest. But the week before I was in the conference in Zimbabwe, you talk about roads or lack of roads. I'm telling you, it's the, uh, I would have to say, and, you know, I love the, the, the work in Zimbabwe. We had a great conference. Their first ever conference planted... I think five new churches. We have over, I think, 33, 34 Australian-related churches in Zimbabwe now. And, uh, but their roads are atrocious. The main road going out of Harare, um, there, there, there's, there's potholes this big and this deep on the main road. And, you know, what, you know we were staying in the hotel in the city of uh, Harare, and we travelled out to... Quadzana, where the, um, the, the church property, you know, maybe 20 minutes in normal traffic. One night, we get picked up by the driver um, and uh, um, myself and Pastor George and his wife from Zambia, we get picked up and that one road is blocked. There's either been an accident, um, tragically deaths. There's no street lights. There's no, there's no street lights anywhere. So that's kind of unusual. Uh, even the week someone crossed the road killed uh, on that main road but anyway they were blocked up so we were stuck and then they said well maybe we can take some back streets oh my gosh I thought the main road was bad but the back streets you know it, there's, it's not paved it's just you know uh, dirt that's been affected by water you know the, like this so we're, you know, our teeth our fillings are falling out it took us an hour and 40 minutes, an hour, 20 minute ride, an hour and 40 minutes to get to the, they had to delay the church service start. Pastor George, the, he was speaking. I, I, was, I was just, I was okay. I wasn't preaching that night, but he's just freaking out. And the roads are, are just a challenge. And they talked about how the president uh, is of one party in Zimbabwe and the local Harare council, the opposition, so the president doesn't give money to these people, so the people get mad at the local officials, so they won't vote them in. It's all political. And tragically, it's fully corrupt. Pastor Wayman Mitchell said years ago, he said, you gauge a level of corruption in a developing nation by the condition of their roads. It's an interesting thought. The condition of their road. So what is a road? Road is no doubt one definition, a long narrow stretch with a smoothed or hopefully paved surface made for traveling, for vehicles, for people, for carriage between two or more places. And I want to have a look at a highway for our God. 
from Isaiah 40, verse 3. This is a powerful prophecy, and it's talking about the thought of a highway or a road being prepared, maintained, kept in good shape for transportation. Let's have a look. Isaiah 40, verse 3. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. One version says, prepare the road of the Lord. Make straight in a desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, every mountain and hill brought low. Crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So the Bible here is talking about a highway for our God. And I would dare say, as we look through this thought, that many highways and roads, tragically, are just like what I mentioned in Zimbabwe, are in disrepair, are neglected, damaged, and are assaulted. And I want to ponder this thought. Let's then consider, first of all, the King's Highway. This uh, great prophecy that Isaiah speaks is prophesying about the coming of the Messiah, the coming of the Anointed One, the coming of the Lord. And it's actually speaking that there would be one that would be a forerunner, that would pave the way for this Messiah to come. It says in verse 3, the voice of him that cries in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. So if we fast forward, you go from this great prophecy in Isaiah 40 and you fast forward to, say, Matthew chapter 3, we begin to, as Matthew introduces the genealogy of Christ and he lays that platform, then he now comes on to, as we know, the ministry of John. But let's have a look at Matthew 3 verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and this is he who was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So we know now from Matthew's account that the prophecy is fulfilled in John the Baptist's ministry. It's very clear here that this preparing the way, making a road or a highway for our God was part of John or the specific calling and lane for John to run in, amen, for the nation of Israel. That by implication tells us he's got to prepare the way. By implication, it tells us that for many, the way isn't prepared or they are unprepared. God in his wisdom felt that he needed to send, Jesus said, a prophet and more than a prophet, perhaps no one greater born to a woman than John, to send this man to prepare people by implication, meaning people and the nation were unprepared. This is the understanding, no doubt. You know, how many know there's people run their house differently, uh, many uh, couples and 
and uh, you know, husbands and wives. And some people's home they have, in, in light of fellowship, they have a drop-in house. People just drop in. Hey, I'm just over. No worries, come on in. You know, that very thought freaks other people out. Some people, you know, if you just dropped in, what? <laughs> you know, they're running around. You know, you're knocking on the door and you, they're scurrying around. We're unprepared. You know, it's a mess. You know, quickly let me wipe down the bathroom, the toilet, throw everything in the junk room, slam the door, you know, and, you know, give me time to prepare. Isn't that true? Probably none of us are there, you know. So we want to be prepared. You know, let me give you a little tip here. If you're going to someone's place and at 7.30, you roll up at 7.15, it freaks them out. If you're there early, which is good, just wait in the car. <laughs> or just wait down the corner, you know. And then come, hallelujah. You've been unprepared. Maybe, you know, somewhere at school or university or you wasn't that long ago. Exam time's coming. You get to there, you get to the exam day and you realize I'm totally unprepared. I haven't done what I needed to do to be able to successfully pass this test or exam, I won't ask for a show of hands. I remember way back in the early days, um, early, early conference here in Sydney, I was a young pastor and I had the privilege of pe- preaching a slot. I was working a full-time job pioneering a church and you know, all the, the busyness of that. But however, conference came up and I might have had some trip and preaching somewhere, revival. And anyway, it was just a busy time. And I remember I prepared a sermon, but I didn't really prepare as I should have. Probably one of my first times that I preached at a, at a conference. And I remember getting up in the, it would have been a 9 or 9.45 slot. And I got up and it was, I said everything that I had to say and it was 20 minutes And I know today we applaud that if that was the case. (laughs) If I knew what I knew now, I would have just stopped. But then I'm freaking out in my mind. I haven't prepared properly. I haven't got, you know, my points or illustrations or I haven't elaborated. And then I I quickly do a rehash of my last point twice and I, I pull it out to about 25 minutes. But I felt so embarrassed. Ever been embarrassed? when you needed to do something, and I felt so embarrassed. I remember making a decision. I don't want to ever be in that place again. I, was, I didn't prepare correctly. I was not prepared, and therefore I was embarrassed. You know, this text, a highway for our God, or a royal highway, you know, we, with the world, we acknowledge and, and grieve the passing of Queen Elizabeth, you know, that she served... Uh, what, over 70 years uh, as the uh, head of the Commonwealth, uh, the head of Australia and the, uh, and the uh, you know, and, and of England and, and other countries beyond. You know, she came uh, 16 times to our nation. Her first time she was here in 1954 before most of us were ever born. 
She came in 54, 63, 70, 73, 74. You know, I can go on. The last time was in 2011. Do you know, whenever the queen, or especially the queen royal comes, the amount of preparation that is needed. Where's she going to stay? What, what, what route she's going to drive down? What she's going to eat in the morning, lunch, dinner? Who's she going to meet? The protocols for all. Incredible preparation for a royal to come and visit a location. I want you to think about that, lock that in your mind. Amos 4 verse 12 says, prepared to meet your God, O Israel. See, this was John the Baptist's role, was to make a people ready for the Lord, for the King of Kings, to prepare a road, a highway, before the coming of the Messiah. That word prepare Aphaeus says to make ready, to make necessary preparation, to get everything ready, but then it goes on deeper and it says, it draws from the oriental custom of sending on before kings on their journeys persons to level roads and make them passable. So a forward team to go on and literally make the road suitable for the king to pass that way. Gill's commentary said that it's referring to pioneers sent before some great person to remove all obstacles out of the way, cut down trees, level the way, clear all before them. The first mention scripturally of this king's highway is found in Numbers 20 verse 17 where the nation of Edom has refused Israel's passage. Israel had made a comment, we don't want to fight with you. We are not going to go to the left or right. We're not going to drink from any of your wells. It goes on to say in verse 17, we will go along the king's highway. We will not turn to the right nor the left until we pass through your territory. So ancient times, there was something called the king's highway. This is what we're looking at, verse 3. Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Listen, every valley shall be exalted, every mountain and hill brought low, the crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough places shall be made smooth. Talks about four areas here, doesn't it? Areas of preparation, just very quickly, he talks about crooked places made straight, things that are out of shape. We know attitudes can be out of shape, can't they? Bent and twisted. Can have a funky spirit. Our thoughts could be out of whack. And so if you look at it on a personal level, preparing for God, preparing to have that visitation of Jesus Christ. It says the crooked places need to be made straight. It says the mountains brought low. We would understand this would be the areas of pride and self-reliance. Need to be brought down. Uh, Amen. This is part of this preparation. Valley, uh, you know, valleys, uh, amen, uh, filled, uh, Areas of low self-esteem and rejection, and many of us have been looking at that rejection. Those areas need to be filled up. 
rough places smooth, the, our manner, our abrasiveness, the offense that we might give, uh, amen, it's talking about these areas of preparation. Now, how practically did John accomplish this? These four areas, preparing for the Lord, preparing for his coming. It says it in our uh, New Testament text, Matthew 3 verse 1, now in the days of John the Baptist, uh, uh, the days came John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness saying, repent ye for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So here we are at conference and this is exactly what we're doing. We're preaching fellowship. We thank God for our song service. We thank God for reports. We thank God for uh, movies and all those things. They have their place. But principally, we're here to hear the word of God and to hear it preached to us. The Bible says he accomplished those, these four things through his preaching. And his principal method here was very clear and his message was repent. Well then quickly look at the determining factor. The determining factor, see, this message that John is preaching and you and I are called to preach is not a popular message today in the Christian world or the religious world, let's say. For many, it's come as you are and leave as you came. Come to Jesus. Accept Jesus in your life. And this, if they do an altar call, this is what people say. The message of repentance is not a popular message today. There's tension. When people start challenging other people in our generation to repent, to turn from their sins, to acknowledge their sinfulness before a holy God, to have a change of heart and mind, to have a change of action. Pastors, no doubt, you feel this. Evangelists, Feel this when people start pressing in about repentance. There's, there's, a, there's a resistance there because it's the spirit of this age. It's the spirit of this age. In the Australian newspaper, 20th of August, I thought I'd make it real by making it local. The article was a legal fight over same-sex faith as blokes are not welcome in Anglican Church in New South Wales. Two blokes marry each other in New South Wales, told they couldn't continue to go to their church in Armidale. The whole article was all about uh, this situation where a pastor of a church of England said, no, this is unacceptable. God bless them. So then the article's playing it out. And look, you know, the Australian tries to be a reasonably conservative newspaper, but even there, they're caught up with how can a church call people to repentance and change of lifestyle? You know, it's taking these guys' point of view and one of the men, Mr. Sanders, who married his bloke friend uh, uh, at that church, has said uh, they 
are very literal in their view of the Bible. Basically saying that's a bad thing. From that moment, most of the the former St. Mary's congregation, including Mr. Sanders and his husband, are now worshipping at the United Church. John Wesley would roll in his grave in Armadale. Mr. Sanders went on to say, the Christian faith is all about love and graciousness. But is that true? You know, secondly, there's a growing movement today, no doubt linked to this, and even in doctrinal theology called a free grace movement. And the free grace position says that you're justified by faith alone, and that's something that is in Protestant belief, but they've taken this to an extreme. And they're saying faith, amen, is basically only an acknowledgement of Jesus Christ. You only have to acknowledge Christ as, you know, in some ways as Lord, mentally or verbally, and that's all you ever have to do. That's why these churches are preaching these altar calls are only saying just accept Jesus and nothing else. And so this is a stand that they take. They're saying all other human action, like repentance of sin, is unnecessary. Doing good works after justification is unnecessary. They go on to say it's wrong to say that repentance from sin must accomplish faith, uh, be with faith. Uh, And number two is it's wrong to say that any other human activity uh, necessarily results from faith. I'd say they're not reading their Bible. And thirdly, another article says from Christianity Today talks about the emerging church. A young lady said that she wanted to be religious but isn't prepared to let her religion alter her lifestyle. I'm a Jesus girl, she said, but I also like to go out, do tequila shots with my friends. Clubbing, drinking, Gambling, taking risque uh, photos, putting it on social media, it's all cool. The thought really is to have Christianity without repentance, without a new lifestyle, without a turning from sin. But is that possible? People in eternity know the reality of this. There's a very revealing story in Luke 16, verse 27. The Bible talks about two men. They both passed on, Lazarus and the rich man. Some people try to dismiss this as just a parable, but no. Jesus never uses names in parables. I believe when he told this story, people knew exactly who they were talking about. He says both, both men died. One's in hell and one's in paradise with Abraham. And he, let me read it to you a little bit. Then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send 
him, that's Lazarus, to my father's house. For I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they come to this place of torment. And Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Very profound. In eternity, he knows what needs to happen to his five brothers. He knows the key that opens the door to forgiveness and eternal life. They know it very clearly in eternity. The church world might be missing it, but these people have a clear 2020 vision. And he says, no, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Listen, the rich man's not in hell because he's rich. He's not in hell because he ate well. He's not in hell even because of whatever he's done in the past. He's in hell because he didn't repent. That's the clear understanding of the scripture. And he knows it. If you could ask people in eternity, if you had your time again, how would you do it differently? People ask those questions, don't they? If you had your time again, if you found yourself under the sentence of judgment, if you found yourself with the rich man in torment, and if you were asked that question, if you had your time again, what would you do differently? The message is very clear. I would repent. I would repent. I would repent. The most precious thing offered is the vehicle of repentance. No doubt the very highway for our God. That's what John was speaking about here. You could say, well, what does repentance mean? Again, Thayer says to change one's mind, to change one's mind for the better, a heartily to amend and abhor one's past sins, to think differently. John the Baptist to the religious of his day in Matthew 3 verse 8, therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. He's challenging people. Listen, there needs to be a genuine change. Nineteen oh four and nineteen oh five, the Welsh revival, under the preaching and ministry of Evan Roberts. If you have a look at the outflow of that revival, taxes were paid, debts were paid, pubs were closed, jails were empty. Listen, it was evident there was repentance. It was very evident their language changed. You know the stories and the coal miners and the, you know their you know their donkeys and you know they used to swear and curse as trigger phrases, but they're no longer doing it. They don't understand what they're saying anymore because they're not swearing now. They're saved. Let me just pause right there. They're not swearing now. They're saved. If you still are, there's an altar of repentance here. it to a close, amazing grace given. John the Baptist was called to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. You know, it's very interesting 
the Bible gives us a little bit of indication where the Pharisees and the scribes rejected the will of God for themselves, having not been baptized by John. And if you look at that phrase, this one rejection here of his repentance message meant that when Christ came, it's like the ears were blocked. Their heart was hardened. Their mind was dulled. That's tragic, isn't it? The road wasn't smooth. It wasn't prepared. Pastor H.B. Garlock, in his book, he talks about, it's, it's actually entitled, Before We Kill and Eat You. It's actually talking about he going to a tribe in Africa that were cannibals and to preach the gospel. It's a good book worth reading. He goes in there and he, he wins people, starts a work of God. But how many know, uh, amen, uh, he, he not only got people saved, he began to disciple people. Thank God for that. There's stories of him on this African road driving in his vehicle, his missionary vehicle, and he has an African worker with him, a native man that he's training up in, in the gospel. And he's coming along the road, and what's traditional there, where he was in Liberia, on the road, if there was a big boulder, everybody just drive around it. Everybody just drive around it. Big stone on the road, big boulder on the road. But listen, he's telling the story, and he comes, he parks his car, gets off, and actually says, come and help me. And he moves the stone or the boulder from the road. The African man can't believe it. He's never seen that in his life. A lot of people have never seen this in their life. And he's wondering. Everybody just drives around it. What are you doing? And it's obviously a discipleship moment. It's a teachable moment. And he makes the statement. He says, I'm making the road better for someone who travels behind me. I'm making the road better for someone who travels behind me. You know, everyone who repents and has a good road, makes a road for their God, you don't make it easy for those that come behind you. Every parent is believing that for their children. You've genuinely repented of your sins. You're believing to make their life and their, their road better. Learning how to repent or repair the road is no doubt in some ways the significant difference between the first two kings of Israel. If you study King Saul and King David, both them fell short. Both them at times disobeyed. Both them sinned. But if you study it out, Saul ends up dying tragically with the Spirit of God left him, visiting a witch, some dimension of perhaps suicide. It's tragic beyond belief where David ends up the king that everyone looks to. The very lineage of Christ, it all references to the throne of David, doesn't it? The tabernacle of David. Why? David knew how to repent. Saul made excuses. 
Saul tried to cover. It's the people, it's this, it's that, it's this other problem. Uh, you know, save face, come and worship before the people. He never humbled himself and repented. You don't see that in Saul's life. Saul didn't know how to have that road. A highway for our God to come and visit your life and my life. Our church. David writes in Psalm 51, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitudes of your tender mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. And then verse 10, we sing this song, Create in me a clean heart. O God, renew a steadfast spirit in me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Uphold me with your generous spirit. We sing this still to this very day. A man who knew how to have that road, to maintain that road, to remove boulders, to fill valleys, to bring down mountains, crooked places made straight, rough places made smooth. See, this is the unchanging message through Scripture. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, Holy Spirit falls, great audience of people, amen, now watching. And the Bible says in verse 38, he says, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins that you might receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is an unchanging message. You say, well, John's Old Testament, that's an Old Testament. Here's on the day of Pentecost for Pentecostals. Men and brethren, what should we do? You need to repent. I'm telling every, encouraging every pastor, every evangelist, every up-and-coming disciple, don't remove repentance from your message. Don't remove it from your altar calls. Don't remove it from uh, your ministry. There's a spirit moving in the religious world today that wants to rob the church of this road and highway to our God. It's demonic in nature. We call it out. God has given a great opportunity and the provision of repentance, a great gift and awesome grace. Because we know one day things are going to be set in concrete in your life and my life and there's no more repentance. I was on a plane one time, I flew into Perth Airport and met the former Australian cricket coach there and I was talking to him. Justin Langer, and he was just talking about a cricket match that Australia had been involved in. And, and at the end of it, he said, but when the game was declared over, the result is set in concrete. That's true. There might be controversy during the game. There might be this and that. But when the game is over, the result is set in concrete. You know, there's a season that you have, you could say, is your game, and it's going to come to an end. And me. And then it's set in concrete. Repentance and forgiveness is a great gift granted to us by the love and mercy of Almighty God. 
Never take it for granted. The forgiveness of God. Don't treat holy things flippantly. Some people have been in church so long. You've, you've gone through so many sermons and so many altar calls. Altar call comes and you think, well, now's the time to go to the bathroom. Now's the time I've, I've needed to make that phone call. I'll just slip out and make that phone call. Now's the time to catch up and chat a little bit. But I want to say, we in our church, thank God, we have altar calls and it's a moment where we can repent before a holy God. Second Peter 3 verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish. Listen, but all come to This is the will of God for every person on planet earth. Not perish, but all come to repentance. You know, in closing, John Newton in 1743 was in naval service for the British Navy. He attempted to desert, put in uh, from the Navy, put in irons, court-martialed. He was only 18 years old. They made an example of him. They flogged him 96 lashes, reduced him in rank to a common uh, seaman, uh, and then finally in disgrace and humiliation, he thought about committing suicide. But he didn't, thankfully, and he endeavoured to recover both uh, physically and mentally. But at his own request, he was asked to be placed on a slave ship to leave the Royal Navy and work more in that commercial enterprise. He went on to a slave ship servicing the West Africa. He eventually became a captain of a slave ship himself. For many of us that have read the history of being a slaver, what a terrible job, what a terrible occupation, the degrading of humanity in those situations. You would have become hardened, wouldn't you? He's now the captain of a slave ship that's taking slaves from Africa and taking them either to England or to the US. But he's in a storm one time and I had, a, had one of the uh, men on the ship been on the deck and washed off to his death. He saw it before his very eyes. He went down and something began to grip him. He began to fear. He began to fear for his soul. He began to fear God and eternity. And at that moment on that ship, he began to call out to God. And it actually says that the God of grace would save me. And it goes on to say, he repented. He began from that moment to pull out a Bible and a, another book on Christianity. And by the time he got back to England, he was firm in his decision. I'm going to serve God the rest of my life. He gave up being a captain of a slave ship. He was discipled and trained, become a pastor, a man of God a preacher of the word of God and a writer of amazing songs and hymns, one of them entitled Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Once I was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. It all started in that repentance moment. 
that moment that like a highway, a road from God to him was forged. What about you? How's your road? How's your repentance path? How is that pathway for God to your life? Is it full of holes, boulders, high places, low places, crooked things? Conference is a good time to get some things straightened out. Good time to get some things pulled down and things lifted up. In closing, Pastor Mitchell tells the story, Pastor Wayman. He was on a plane with the Israel tour leaving the U.S. There's a number of people on that plane from our fellowship, but there was, you know, if you ever go on the Holy Land tour, there's lots of different Christian groups that go, and there were some other Christian people on that very same plane. And so Pastor engaged one of them, and the man was just talking, you know, who he was. And then he said to uh, Pastor Wayman Mitchell, you know, what group are you? And he said, well, we're the Potter's House, Potter's House Christian Fellowship. The guy just, ah, that group. He went on to say, I've heard of them. They're the repenters. They're the repenters. Pastor Mitchell thought about that for a while and goes, yes, that's us. We are the repenters. That's a highway for our God. And if you want to have a label, we can, we can take that label. We can wear that label. We can receive that. Yes, indeed, we're a people that preach repentance and apply repentance to our life. A highway for our God. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Heads bowed and eyes are closed for a few moments. Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one. On the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three, premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four. Our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp, where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe, because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night, of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks.
Thank you so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless. God bless.